0: Well, it's nice to see all of you. uh, I'm really grateful for uh, our ASB and uh, leadership, uh, specifically to C.J. Johnson. He's... uh, He's taking the baton from our beloved Pete, who's been here for so many years, and now uh, he's off serving uh, over another institution there in the East Coast, and uh, we're so grateful that uh, CJ is here and bringing leadership, really helping us uh, to realize community in everyday uh, experiences and in life, and uh, so grateful for his, uh, for his leadership, and specifically looking for gotcha, which is great. I usually... Uh, I, I usually last about Wednesday, so the, after Wednesday, then I go into get-it-done mode, uh, and I've never gotten past Wednesday, so I really don't know what that looks like. But nonetheless, uh, it's coming up for those of you who are not going to sign up for Gotcha, sign up for Gotcha, you've, you've paid more for less entertainment. So just uh, enjoy it, um, and uh, as you guys get ready for the beginning of the school year. You know, as we talk about the beginning of the school year, there, uh, there are certain things that we all kind of remind ourselves of, don't we? Uh, when I know that in my own heart that there are certain things that I I want to and need to rehearse in my own heart as I get ready for this semester. And I know that many of you, as you've jumped in and we've had the first week of class and uh, to be able to have a long and extended weekend, to really get prepared, to organize yourself, to be ready and prepared for what the Lord would have for you this year and And a part of that part of that is is rehearsing uh, some things that we believe rehearsing truths reminding ourselves uh, of um, principles of convictions that we've learned uh, during our time here that will really set our hearts in the right place to be able to experience and to see what God would have for us both inside and outside of the classroom. There's certain things that I remind my heart of and I wanted to remind us of uh, today as we look at the beginning of this semester together, because it really is, isn't it? It's what we believe. It's what we know to be true. It is our convictions, the principles that shape our hearts, is what then determines how we live. It is what we believe. It's what we remind ourselves of. It's what we our convictions are built upon, that then gives us the framework to be able to address every single detail of our lives. And so, as we give our focus uh, this semester on Christ, who is all, and I wanted to draw us to a passage of Scripture where. Whereas as we remind our hearts of who Christ is, that that would translate and shape how we live in everyday life. And as we do that together, might we jointly remind our hearts through the truth of God's word about who our God is and revealed through Jesus Christ so that we might be encouraged today. So it's with that heartbeat that I want us to turn to Philippians, the book of Philippians, A lot of the things that we remind ourselves of are things that are very familiar, but yet are very powerful because as we remind ourselves again... Moves deeper into our hearts. And as you remember, the book of Philippians was really written out of a heart of love by the Apostle Paul. He, uh, the Philippian church that was established there in, in Acts 16 was, uh, was beloved to, uh, to Paul's heart. He was in his Roman imprisonment and he had heard that the Philippian church was concerned for his welfare. And so uh, upon uh, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus being well and encouraged that he sends him back to the church With this letter and and this letter really is filled with this beloved endearment by Paul both in terms of his care for them as you can see in Philippians 1 just he uses the word brethren and beloved over and over again and and it's really infused also with the joy that this book is one that is encompassed with the joy. Now again the Philippian church wasn't um, it was a place that was marked by suffering. It was a place that was hard to live in. And as you kind of move into the, the thought of Paul, you think to yourself that, that he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to bring joy to them because he loved them. And I think with that very same heartbeat today, I come to you bringing God's word with a real belovedness in my own heart for you. Wanting you to see and to experience joy this semester and in your own very life. And Paul does that by reminding the Philippian church about who Christ is. That his understanding of deep theological truths of of who Christ is and, and his work worked out into the life of the believer gives them a context by then they can live and do all things. And so as we look at how to live this semester, we want to remind ourselves of these remarkable truths You see, in the book of Philippians, like other books that Paul writes, that he bases his exhortations, his commandments, out of what we believe and what we know. Look, if you will, down to uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1, where it talks about that, that this command to walk in a manner worthy. In verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, that, uh, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that it is this gospel of Christ that he wants them to live out the gospel of Christ. That language there of worthy is a scale term. It says that what you know of Christ let that be equal to how you live. Look over to chapter 2. We can see another example of that. Very familiar passage, but one that is incredibly powerful. It says in verse 3, um, "Let Do nothing, this being the command, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Why? How? Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. That it's Christ that it's his knowledge of Christ, that it is the gospel of Christ. It is the example of Christ. And look, it's even knowing Christ. Look into uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, moving a little, excuse me, chapter uh, 3, verse 7. Look there. Again, he's talking about all of his achievements. He says in verse 7, that whatever uh, gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not only, not only in, in the high calling of the gospel, not even in his, and also in his example, but also, also the beauty of knowing Christ, who Jesus Christ is, that that motivates him to see everything else, even his achievement as being less than knowing Christ. And not only in his his achievement, but also in his suffering. Look over in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 12, says this. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in any circumstances I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It is Christ. It is who we know about and how he reveals himself as sovereign Lord that shapes how we live. It creates a context that's different. It begins to not only be our motivation but our framework by which we can encounter anything in this life. Even, even in our worst nightmare of 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 having everything devastated away from us of having death itself that in the end that paul says to live is christ and to die is gain that everything that we do that is all shaped and experienced out of what we believe about jesus christ is he who he says he is and if so How does that shape how we live? Jesus Christ being all shapes how we live. So look down at a very familiar passage with that context in mind. Let us look now to Philippians, the book of Philippians, and you can see it all kind of All kind of encapsulated in this one little verse in verse one. It says, therefore, my brethren, because of what you believe, because of what you know, because of how Christ has revealed himself, because of how lovely it is, because of his gospel, because of his work, all of those things. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Let, the, let your understanding of who Jesus Christ is, your experience and submission under his lordship, might you stand firm in that. And then in the end comes these four little admonishments. And we're going to look at these four little appeals about how we can live this semester in light of who Christ is by way of reminder and preparedness what Lord would have for us this year. So let us now read together the passage that we are going to study for the next few moments. Starting in verse 4. In verse 4. And let us read together the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us now as we study his word together. Father God, we ask you now that you would employ and work your Holy Spirit into our hearts that as we see Jesus Christ, that it might change and help us to live differently. And Lord, as we look at your word, might you open up the eyes of our hearts so that we might see you and be helped. And Lord, even in this passage, how it helps us in our time of need through Christ. And I pray that you would help us now to look deeply into your word and might, be, might we be encouraged out of it. For your honor and glory and our joy, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I don't know about you, but this passage sets a framework for me that there are certain truths in here that we remind ourselves of. Now, now, they're very incredibly practical, and they're important for us to look at. And in this context of what we know and what we believe, and moves in now that Paul, as he's closing out this book, he gives these direct commands. The first one is this, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Now, this word rejoice here isn't, isn't some sort of like silly kind of birthday party sort of surprise rejoicing, right? But rather, it's a deep rejoicing. It's a rejoicing that's found in the Lord. It's a rejoicing that is is described as as contentment or satisfaction. That there is a a, a, a contentedness in the soul. That the rejoicing that it speaks of here is something that far surpasses the the ebb and flow of emotion, but rather it is deep-rooted into who we are and what we believe. He says, rejoice, rejoice always. Let your default setting in your heart be one of joy. The fact of the matter is, is that there's just a lot of things that aren't worth rejoicing in. There are a lot of things that are hard. There are a lot of things that that push against, things that aren't, things that aren't, Helpful or they're hard and it doesn't say that you are supposed to rejoice in those things But rather to have a deep contentedness in the lord himself It is when we know jesus christ. It is when we know our god that it Reinterprets our circumstances for us to be able to rejoice in everything One commentator says that the knowledge of god is the key to rejoicing Those who know great truths about God find it very easy to rejoice. Those with little knowledge of God find it very difficult to rejoice. Have you ever thought about that? That the root of complaining, that the root of a bad attitude in the end is is the fact that there is nothing to rejoice in and the reason why we don't rejoice in things is because it isn't the way that we wanted it to be. But instead, the Paul writes here, and it's also echoed in the Psalms, is that we can rejoice because God himself is in control. That we can rejoice in the fact of who God is and that God is over everything and that even though these temporary circumstances, that those trials will then then be depleted under the wonderful glory of who Jesus Christ is in our redemption. Rejoicing. Is a matter of perspective. And Paul says here that that perspective is rooted in who our God is. I mean, listen to the Psalms. Psalm 90, 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad in our days. Psalm 5, says, But let all those who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy. Let them spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalm 25, may we shout for joy over your salvation and over the name of our God. Set up our banners, may the Lord fill your, uh, fulfill your petitions. We can rejoice because we are His. We can rejoice because we know that the sum total of this world isn't up to us. And you remember the brokenness in your own life when you realized that you were not God and that you were helpless and dead in your trespasses and sin and that you looked to Jesus Christ who came as your redemption and brought joy. Even in the hardest of circumstances. Many of you and I know are from homes that are hard. From homes that are broken. From homes that reject Christ. And then the quietness of your own soul, that there was a moment where through faith that Christ redeemed your heart by his grace, not by your works, and brought joy. Not in your, not in your fleeting circumstances, but in the fact that you were his. Colossians 1.9 talks about that. It is the knowledge of God. It is Christ himself that then gives you power and endurance and joy. Why? Because he's redeemed us. Why? Because Christ is Lord over all and we are his. So therefore, the commandment here is to rejoice always in the Lord. And we can rejoice in our Lord because he's in control of all circumstances, right? Right? that in the end isn't the harshness of life, isn't the things that, that don't bring, uh, the things that are hard for us in life is when we realize that, that we are not, that we want to be in control of something, but we can't. That the true joy of life is saying, look, even in the hard things of life, that our God is in control. That is why Romans 8.28 is something that is of Sweet joy to us that God works all things together for good. Even the things that are not good, God uses for good. And that ability, because we know we are Christ, helps us to rejoice in things, even things that are not good. We're not celebrating the brokenness of our circumstances, but we have a steadfast contentment that God is going to use everything for my good and his glory. Everything. As a matter of fact, that Philippians 2, 12, and 13 says that God himself works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in you, friends. He is at work in you. He is in you. He has redeemed you. He is your God, and he is in control of all things. And it is that God that says you can rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice in the fact that you are his. You can rejoice in the fact that he is good, even in the things that are not good, that you can look at the hardest things of life and have a contented ballast in your soul that doesn't move by the tides of your own circumstances, but rather is anchored in Christ himself. That's why we can count it all joy in every circumstance. Because it's in the Lord. Every single circumstance, we can find joy because it's in the Lord. James 1 talks about that. That's why it's counted all joy when you meet various trials of different kinds. Why? Because God is at work. How can you rejoice in all circumstances? Because you can have a confidence that God is at work. 1 Peter 5.10 says, even after you have suffered a while, that God will restore you and confirm you and strengthen you and establish you. That's why in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, it says that that uh, that I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That passage, that passage is, is, is usually familiar because it's on like every like football, high school, Christian school workout gear, like since the dawn of time, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Bench press champion 2008, right? But the fact of the matter is, is it's not that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so therefore I can rip phone books and blow up water bottles. That's not the fact, no. The fact of the matter is, is that I can suffer through all things with joy because Jesus is alive and that he reigns and that he's in control. And therefore I can rejoice in what God is doing. Even though what is happening to me might be hard. Do you realize how that proclaims the gospel? Practical application. Don't underestimate the gospel witness of a good attitude on a bad day. Don't underestimate the gospel witness. Of a good attitude on a bad day. Because it proclaims that God's in control. Proclaims that you can rejoice because the Lord is who He says He is, and because He is who He proclaims, we can be joyful. Look for opportunities to rejoice. Find them. Be proactive in them. As you wake up in the morning to think, what are the things that I can rejoice in the Lord in? Not just in service but I can rejoice in the Lord in. What a great time of worship that you can do in your small groups. Things that you can do on your drive to church. Things that you can do today at lunch before you pray over your meal. You can say, what's one thing that we can rejoice in who our God is? And that shapes how you live. So the first one is to rejoice in the Lord. Now, the second one is theologically connected, although grammatically it's not. Verse 5, it says this, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. First, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, emphasizing the fact that we are to rejoice always. And secondly, it says be, be mindful, be mindful of everyone. Let your reasonableness known to everyone. Rejoice in the Lord, again I say rejoice, and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness in the Greek is one of those words that's really hard to describe into one word, like a one word to one word connecting point. But this idea is that as you rejoice in the Lord, you share that joy with others. You express that joy. If Jesus is alive and reigning, and that our joy is in Him, then therefore we have the opportunity and the commandment to express that to everyone. How do you do that? It says express your reasonableness. That, that reasonableness there has this idea of, of kindness or, or gentleness. It's a, it's a humble graciousness. It actually has the word picture of a, of a king. A king who, who, who deals who deals kindly with lower subjects. you see that picture? You see that picture? The king, the mighty king, and someone who is, someone who is, is maybe not another king or, or someone of regality, but just an ordinary person and his kindness towards them, his humility and compassion towards them, not out of sympathy, but out of love. That's the picture there. Saying because of what we know to be true, because of what we believe and who Jesus Christ is, in our rejoicing we can share that with everyone. And that's shared by our posture, by our expressions. By the way that we live, that's echoing, again, Philippians 2, that we are to think of others more important than ourselves. Why? Because Jesus has given us that example, and Jesus gives us the ability to do so. So therefore, let your reasonableness be known to all. It is wisdom. It is a life expressed. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? Do you remember the first time when someone expressed the fruit of the Spirit to you with no other agenda but just their worship of their God? That out of who they are, out of what they believe, it actually shaped how they lived and that was attributed to you? Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember the first time when someone was gentle and kind, reached out to you and moved towards you who did you see? Who did you see? Who did you thank? Who did you worship? Who did you, who did you uh, draw your joy to? Wasn't it Christ? Wasn't it where you saw them and you said there's, there's nothing in them that would make them do that, and that person exemplified Christ to you? That in this commandment, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, that Paul, in his love for them, wanted them to experience joy, to rejoice, and to share that joy with others because and in and through who they know Jesus Christ to be. And it gives them the ability to do that. You can't be reasonable and to care and to give to others if your interest is in yourself. You can't love others and love yourself at the same time. And so what is that? That's your reasonableness to to share those things. You have to ask yourself, how do I treat others? Why why are people annoying me? Why why, why am I having a hard time with people? How do I change that? How do I change my disposition? I want to be someone who who is an impact. I want to be of someone who is a joy. But I'm not, and I'm having a hard time. Why is that? Back to what you believe. Comes back to who you know Jesus Christ to be and the power that is in work in you. An indicator of when we are not displaying reasonableness is because we're not pleased. The reason why we can't share that with others is because we're discontent in our own heart. Do you see the connection between rejoicing in the Lord always and then sharing your reasonableness to all? You can't fake it. That frustration comes from a discontented heart, doesn't it? If you're always trying to grab and to and to take and to enjoy and just unsatisfied with the false promises of joy from something else that is not God. You've tried to find your joy in other things than in the Lord, and what happens is is that it translates to how you treat other people. But the opposite is also true. That when your desires are satisfied in Christ Jesus, when you find your true hope and your rejoicing in who He is, that it translates in how you react to and live with other people. So it says to to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice and let your reasonable be, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God is the next section that we want to look at. Now, this next verse, I understand, this next verse doesn't apply to anybody in the room, but we want to be able to think of this like to help other people. This is an irrelevant verse. We have to work really hard to move into it and to think about it, right? So, yeah, uh, nobody, is, nobody is anxious. Nobody, nobody worries about anything. Are you kidding me? It's, I mean, it's one of those things that just captivates our soul, doesn't it? Doesn't anxiety, especially this time of year where where you see everything in front of you, that that you become anxious and overwhelmed and you're trying to grab control of everything? It says here, do not be anxious about anything. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be concerned about things. I mean, certainly it does, that there is a godly concern. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 talks about that. But anxiety is is an over-concern. It's an over-concern. That anxiety is an over-concern about things that are in the future, of things that you cannot control. That's anxiety. That's anxiety. Essentially, anxiety is portraying God as unable to help. Anxiety is portraying God as unable to help. That I see my circumstances and I, and I, I either... I either don't want something to come upon me that I don't want, or I don't want to lose something that I want to gain. It's either I'll get something that I don't want, or I'll lose something that I want to keep. That there's this anxiety that comes in that says, that says I, I, I desperately don't want this to happen. And this overly concern of trying to fix those problems when we're not in control, and it's in the future. The word there with anxiety has this idea of a rocking chair. I think it's a great word picture, of a rocking chair. It feels like you're doing something, but you're not doing anything. That's what anxiety is. Anxiety feels like you're doing something, but in reality, you're not doing anything at all because you're not in control. It says, do not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious for anything. Anxiety is unproductive. It's unproductive. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 6. It's a really wonderful passage that reminds ourselves again of this truth. Matthew six twenty five. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, With what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not more valuable than they? and which, by you being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan. So why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Highlight, circle this verse, but seek first his kingdom. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. The very words of Jesus Christ. And that that in this moment, that when we are anxious, when we are fighting against those things, when fear and anxiety begins to creep in, what we're saying is, is that if I was God, I would do it differently. If I was in charge, if I was in control, I would do it differently. Let my kingdom come, let my will be done. And so because I am incapable of controlling my world, I will stay up all night trying to think about how I can do that. But you can't. And when you understand and know who your God is, when you remind yourself at the beginning of this semester of what you believe, that you recognize that you can be content in every circumstance and that the Lord will provide every need. And how are we able to do that? You can see there in this section, right there before verse 6, grammatically it connects to chapter, to verse 6. It says this, the Lord is at hand the reason why you and I are able to not be anxious for anything is because God is near, because he's near. And grammatically, you can make an argument that it's both spatial and and, and time, that the Lord is at hand, that the Lord is near, that the Lord is near to you, and yet he is also near in returning as well. You don't have to be anxious for anything. Why? Because God is with you, and he's working all things together for your good, and, and he is coming. Yea, verily, he risen from the dead, and he reigns, and he will come back. Then all of our light momentary affliction will be seen as nothing. The capacity not to be anxious is not welled up in our own will. But it is in taking our anxiety and placing it into the uh, placing those desires before our God because he cares for us. It doesn't say just stop being anxious like you can do that. Have you ever tried doing that? I've tried it. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. Now I'm anxious about the fact that I can't be anxious anymore. But it says, take that anxiety and do something with it. Take that anxiety and do something with it. It says, give it to your God. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, that near God. The near God out of Psalm 145, that the Lord is near to those who call on him, to those who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and he saves them. That sort of posture coming to our God and saying, God, this is what I am wrestling with. This is what my challenges are. This is what I'm afraid of. Help me. the most powerful prayer that you can pray in your life. It's God help. God help. I trust in you. My hope and my rejoicing is in you. I know that you are near to me and I know that the very hairs on my head are numbered and that you care for the spare. How much more would you care for me? Help me. And our God meets us there. Our God meets us there. That we're able to present our requests to God with thanksgiving, saying, God, I give these requests to you. God, I give my anxieties to you. God, I give my concerns to you because I can trust you. I can trust you and and I can do that with thanksgiving, knowing that you are near to me and that when I pray, it's not just me speaking words into the air, but it's actually into your ear that I speak these words. Prayer is not just some exercise, it's communion with God Almighty. Through Jesus Christ, our redemption, we have a place that we can make our requests be known to God. And we can do that with thanksgiving, knowing that our desires and our life and everything that happens is under his control. And so we can say, God, help me, and I trust you. God, help me, and I love you. God, I this is not good. Might you make it good? I believe in you. That's what thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is saying that I can speak to you, that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but now because of Christ, now I, can, now I can speak to you, and I can bring my fears and anxieties and hopes, and I can say, God, but might your will be done? Might your kingdom come? Which is better? I don't know what the dog- The horrible lie of the world is that their false promises for joy and contentment and life satisfies. That it's better. And in this passage, Paul says, look at who Christ is and let's look at his word. And that we can rejoice in everything even though it doesn't make any sense. And you can see his argument as it moves forward. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. At times, our anxieties are fueled because our problems and fears seem more real and near to us than our God. That the person in front of us, that the challenges in front of us are more three-dimensionally vibrant, colorful sound that eclipses the reality of our God. And in this passage, it says, might you remind yourself that we are citizens of heaven and that the reality of what we live in is defined by our God, not by our circumstances, and that we can pray to him and to ask him for help. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 4. Powerful passage in this regard. And it really comes alongside our ability to pray, our ability to give our anxieties to God, our ability to do that with thankfulness that this command, this imperative for us to always be praying to doing that and to, and to lay that before our God, the ability to do that comes out of what we believe and what we know about Jesus Christ. And might, us, might we be reminded of that in verse 14 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. Since then, or because, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast to our confession, what is true, what we believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When anxiety becomes overwhelming when our temptation to control our own world drives our decisions. That the way to fight back against that is to ask our God for help with thanksgiving. Knowing that he is who he says he is and that he will come and he will find and give help and grace in our time of need. And not a moment early. God is always on time. And in the perfect moment and in the perfect place that as you make your request be made known to God and with thanksgiving that the Lord answers your prayers and that he finds help in time of need. It might not be to the elimination of your circumstance, but it will increase your joy in the process. Let's look to this last one here. As we think through and rejoicing and praying without ceasing as related to 1 Thessalonians 5 16, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, just echoes this reality that we're seeing here in Philippians. And the last one here that we want to connect is, is be at peace. Be at peace. Be joyful. Be mindful of everyone. Be anxious for nothing and be at peace. Look there in verse 7, as I just alluded to earlier. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That as you, as you look to your God, as you live out what you believe, that the net result of that is peace, a supernatural peace. It is God himself in Romans 15, says that God is peace. And because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ out of Ephesians 2, we can experience peace. A true and lasting peace in the midst of a world that is not at peace. The true peace of God that comes, that as, that as we find our joy and, and we express that and we share those things with our God, our anxieties, and we pray to him that the promises is, is that the peace of God, which makes no sense to the world... A peace that is different than anything that you've experienced, beyond what you could ask or think, beyond comprehension, that the peace that passes all understanding will be given to you. God's peace surpasses all human understanding, and it will protect our inner man, our heart, that gets so easily caught up in anxieties. So we ask ourselves the question, how can, how can this peace be sustained? This sustainable peace, as in the way that we can pursue peace, is also sustained by Christ Jesus. It is Christ himself. That word guard means that, it, it means that he's a protector of, that he's a garrison of. It says there that as you trust in your God, as you lay your anxieties before him, as you pursue to seek your world and rejoicing in him, that the process and the ability to do that is provided and protected by Jesus himself. It's never been up to you. It's never been up to us to be able to will ourselves through the hardships of our lives, but rather complete dependence upon Christ and he promises us that he will guard our hearts and protect our hearts. I need protection in my soul to not be deceived by the hardness of my own sin. I need protection in my soul not to be drawn away by half-pleasures and anxieties. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ that he gives help in time of need. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ that he comes and he helps. And not only does he promise peace, but he protects In your heart. Oh the beauty. And peaceful joy. Of resting in who Jesus Christ is. And it doesn't make sense to the world. Never underestimate. The powerful gospel witness. Of a soul that is at peace. And he promises that peace. And he will protect That peace. It's always been about Christ. It's always been about Christ. Look in your Bibles there in in Philippians where where he in some ways is is crescendoing our our understanding. Look there that that Jesus Christ, it's never been about our own effort, but all about Christ. Uh, Chapter one, verse six, it says, for he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And we'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That what God promises, he says that he will protect your heart. And that he, what he began in you, he will be faithful to complete it. He is in work in you in Philippians 2, 13, that he works out both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So not only does God guard your heart, but he will finish what he begins and that he will work inside of you and he is near to you even in your anxieties. He is our hope and savior in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, for I have no one like him. Excuse me, verse 3, verse 20. Which speaks of Christ our citizenship is in heaven for it is it is what we await He is our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his And he guards your heart And he supplies every need chapter 4 verse 19 It is this that changes our lives Jesus Christ is alive, and he reigns. And that because of who Jesus Christ is, and because of our redemption through him, that that reality, that truth, then changes how we live. As we think about all the things that are before us this semester. And I don't know. I don't know what this semester holds for you. I don't know what challenges, I don't know what surprises, I don't know what expressions of God's grace that you will experience. But whatever it is, might we move towards them with a confident hope, not in our own selves, but in who Jesus Christ is. And as we remember the truths that that move into what we do, what we believe, into how we live, that we might remind ourselves as we start this semester to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. And let our reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, might that be our prayer and our hope this semester? Will you bow with me in a word of prayer as we as we close our chapel and worship through song. Father God, we are so grateful for Christ and and might that change and the understanding of who he is shape how we live? And I want to pray, oh God, for, for our, these students. And I want to pray that this semester, that it might be an opportunity for them to rest in who you are. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what anxieties might come, but that their heart might experience peace because they are at peace in you. O God, would you guard their hearts? Would you further the work in their hearts that you have promised? Might you be to them their joy as they await for your return and that you might, O God, strengthen them in every circumstance so that in the end, O God, that they might proclaim your glory and your kingdom forever and ever. We pray all these things in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen.